This is Mindset for Success with your host, Dr. Leslie Knudsen. Each week, she will interview women entrepreneurs to explore the unconscious psychological struggles they faced as they build their businesses and how they overcame them. Here's your host, Leslie Knudsen. Welcome, Gia. I'm so excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I'm so excited to chat with you, too. So, Gia, you are an incredible independent documentary filmmaker pursuing stories that explore wrongful con- convictions in the name of protecting the social order. You also are currently investigating the inconsistencies of the American criminal justice system through the story of Jeffrey Deskovic and other exonerees who have had their freedom restored at the cost of irreparable damage to their minds, relationship, and families. Your documentary, Conviction, was selected at numerous film festivals prior to releasing on Amazon Prime. And as you know, um, I'm here today to sort of talk a little bit about the, the negative and sometimes persistent thoughts that can create doubt and undermine success and can destroy self-confidence and risk-taking, not to mention sort of life satisfaction and sometimes happiness. Because while business acumen is important, I think it's, I think it's, we rarely talk about the psychological challenge that sometimes women face to achieve their so I wanted to start the day by asking you to tell our guests a bit about your fascinating and glamorous early career path and what pushed you to become uh, the entrepreneur that you recently become as a film documentary producer. Sure, sure, Leslie. Uh, that's, that's so nice. Um, I started off as, I, I spent 20 years working in the fashion industry, uh, really on the business side and business development side. And that was a really fun career to have when I was, you know, started off at like 18 years old and, and loved it. And I thought, hey, I would do this as a hobby. So to do it for a living and get paid well to do it was just like icing on the cake, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and then fast forward to 20 years later, you know, I was 40 and that job while it was fun it just wasn't fulfilling anymore and it actually became less and less fun the higher up I got in the industry because it became more and more bureaucratic and you know things like that that happened Mm -hmm. in in an Mm -hmm. office environment Mm -hmm. and so um when I had my son and it was my first child and I had maternity leave and I had a little time off and as I was reflecting on what I should do when I go back to work I thought you know I don't want to do that anymore and I thought about it on like a micro level. I thought, would I be happy day to day, nine to five or nine to seven, if I go into work every day and do what I used to do? And the answer was absolutely no. Mm. And something that I'd always been passionate about was wrongful convictions. And and then Serial, the podcast came out, I think in 2014, and that kind of reinvigorated my passion for wrongful Mm -hmm. convictions. And so I was, I spent a lot of time just debating what I could do to help that cause. And, uh, you know, through a series of interesting events, it dawned on me that I could make films because I had a 20 year background in photography as well. And Mm -hmm. I thought TV reaches a lot of people, you know, so that would, that would help me broaden my reach and, and 
raise awareness for the cause. And so I decided that's what I would do. And I went back to school and I took a documentary workshop program and mm-hmm. learned what I didn't know. And, and that's how I ended up here. <laughs> so interesting. And do you um, understand why you're, why you were drawn to doing this? You talked about when Serial came out a couple of years ago, you, you reflected on how interested you were. What was it that kind of drew you to doing documentaries on, um, wrongful convictions when I was when I was about 20 I mean 19 or 20 years old I read this book and it stuck with me my entire life till this day today it's my favorite book Mm -hmm. it was uh Reuben Carter's book called the 16th round Mm -hmm. and it was an account for anyone you know a lot of people may not be familiar with him because he was a boxer in the 60s but he was famous he was a famous boxer and he was wrongfully convicted of a murder and you know if you think about today, somebody that's famous, I can't fathom them being con- wrongfully convicted of a murder. They just have so many resources. And, but that did happen to him, which was very shocking. And he, when he was in prison and he had lost all of his appeals and had no hope, mm-hmm. he wrote a book and that was the book. And it was just such a raw account of uh, just a human in need of help. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it as, as this plea to anybody who's reading this, you know, if, if you can help me in any way. And it just really struck a chord with me and Mm -hmm. stuck with me my whole life because I can't imagine the physical hell of being in a prison. Mm -hmm. But then in addition to that, the mental hell of Mm -hmm. everybody believing you did something so horrific that you didn't do and Mm -hmm. having to, no one believing you and having to live in that reality. I just couldn't imagine. And I guess it just made an impression. That's what got me uh, really, you know, riled up about this cause. When you decided um, to go out on your own, and and I guess it was a couple of years ago, um, was there any risk for you to do that? Or did it feel just like the right time at the right moment? It really felt the right time at the right moment. It was, you know, a little easier for me because I had already given up my salary. I had actually quit my job. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I happened to get pregnant. And so then I just took time off. And Mm -hmm. so of course, you know, the, the sacrifice would have been the salary, but I had already given that up Mm -hmm. temporarily. And so it didn't feel like, uh, it didn't feel scary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It felt like it was the right thing at the right time. And you talk about how, when you first shot the first shot of your first documentary conviction, it felt just right. Can you help explain to our listeners, the young ambitious entrepreneurs out there, what does that mean? Just right. How, how can someone kind of know if they're doing exactly what is just right for them to do? You know, there's, I feel like everyone has something that they're really passionate about. And for most people, that remains a passion. And then you go work in a job where you can make money and you can, you know, support the living, the way, the life that you want to live. And, mm-hmm. and I think for that, that thing, the thing that you're really passionate about, that you just choose to do as a hobby, mm-hmm. that thing feels right, you know? And for me, that was photography. Photography felt, I always loved it. And I did it as a hobby and a little bit dabbled in, you know, did it for work here and there for paid jobs. But then the first day that I went to film my documentary and I picked up that camera and I did an interview with Jeffrey Deskovic, the subject of my film, mm-hmm everything about it just felt so right. I just, in my mind, I felt like this is what I need to be doing and this is where I should be. And it was just this overwhelming feeling of loving what you do, every aspect of it, the technical stuff, the boring stuff, (laughs) you know, fun Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the only way I can really explain it. 
So really to sort of have that long-term passion because it was ever since you read that book a while back. Yes, it was kind of combining two of my passions. The book really, really had me get behind this cause of wrongful convictions. And then photography is something I had done just as a hobby. I would shoot people all the time. And mm -hmm. so it kind of brought those two things together. And that's probably why it felt mm -hmm. so right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You talk about how as a newly minted entrepreneur, you have struggled with feeling that maybe you may not have what it takes to produce documentaries, right? All that normal stuff. Mm -hmm. And that internal chatter of self-doubt can send someone down a rabbit hole if you let it. How have you managed this fear or this kind of critique? And what can you share with our listeners about what you've done to work through it? You know, I have the worst imposter syndrome. <laughs> I have this negative voice in my head almost 24-7 that's constantly saying, you know, you can't do that or you won't do a good job of that. Or for this, for example, I was like, I'm very passionate about this cause and I want to help. But this voice in my head kept saying, well, you're not a, you're not a specialist in this area. You're not a detective. You, you've never had this experience firsthand. Why are you the right person to do this? And, mm -hmm. you know, that chatter is always there. And in the past, actually, especially when I was younger, I would allow that to, I would allow that to hinder what I do and I would mm -hmm. allow it to take over. And in, as I got older, you know, at 40, I've realized that a lot of people have that. It's not just me. I used to think it was just me. <laughs> right. And, uh, and in addition to that, I've, I've started to just do things anyways, you know, just kind of quiet that in my mind and just do them anyways. And what worked out really well and in my favor to kind of fight that imposter syndrome in this case is that I got really good feedback right away when I released the film, like just mm -hmm. in film festivals. And so mm -hmm. that helped quiet that, that voice mm -hmm. that was saying, you can't do this because I got some affirmation, you know? Right. For sure. And yeah. I also know that you've said that um, sometimes it's easier just to tell people, I don't know everything. I don't know. I have to figure that out to kind of stop you from feeling like you should know everything. Oh, absolutely. That's a huge lesson I've learned, uh, you know, as I get older, that that it's okay to just say you don't know what you know. It's actually better because people feel more comfortable around you. They also are probably feeling that way about other things. And so then that opens the door for them to say, oh, you know what? Great, because I also don't understand this part. And then you can work better together, you mm -hmm. know, in the end. Uh, there's a saying that that I actually have on my screensaver on my phone because it's I need this reminder all the time. But it's a it's a self doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will, <laughs> and it's such a good reminder all the time because failing at something is not a bad thing. It's just teaching you something every time, and every one of those things kind of is a stepping stone to completing a bigger project or learning a you know a bigger lesson or whatever it is. Tell me, in being in fashion the first 20 years of your career, did you have fear of failure? I mean, I know you've said you have it every day, every morning, and you have to have put it on your screensaver so you don't have it. Um, was it as intense as it is now, the same or less compared to when you started out 20 years ago? You know, in some ways it's more and in some ways it's less because when I worked in the fashion industry, I started from the very bottom position and I worked my way up over years. And so 
I really got to learn every aspect of the business. So as I got promoted to the next position, I was very confident that I knew what I was doing. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have it as much, but I was younger. So I was a little more susceptible to it. Now, you know, I, I'm older. And so I don't have that as my, I can, I can conquer it better. However, mm-hmm. because this was a brand new industry, it was like the imposter syndrome was screaming in my mind <laughs> because uh, I thought I'm going to go into this working with other filmmakers who've done it for decades and I'm definitely not going to know what I'm doing. So it would, this was a, a tough one a little bit. And what do you do when you have those sort of mm, louder internal chatter days? Who or what is your way of getting support or kind of get, allowing you to step back and just sort of say, let me take five so I can get this better? For me, I mean, one, meditation always helps. I don't always have time for it, but it always helps me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two, just educating myself. If I'm unsure about go- anything going into mm-hmm. it, I'll mm-hmm. research as much as I can, whether it's taking master classes, watching YouTube videos, reading anything I can so that I have basic knowledge and then I feel more comfortable asking the right questions such a good piece of advice for our young entrepreneurs you don't have to sit back and be passive you can actually what you're worried about learn something about it exactly exactly um I know that you're Pakistani and that you grew up in a white community in Calgary Canada And I wonder if you consider yourself someone who hasn't always fit in. And if so, was this difficult? And did it ever have any impact in terms of your um, entrepreneur journey? Yeah, it absolutely did. I, I grew up exactly like you said, in a predominantly Caucasian city, and I never fit in. I was bullied as a kid incessantly through all of my school years until I think grade nine was the first time I even had a friend. And so it was a long, long time of feeling, you know, crappy about myself and Mm -hmm. definitely feeling like an outsider. And that, that's, that is, I think, I mean, I don't know, of course, for sure. I'm not a therapist, but I, I do think that has lent itself to, manifest as imposter syndrome today because Mm -hmm. I always kind of feel like well why will they accept me why would I be allowed to be a filmmaker why would I be allowed to be on this set or what have you I always have that in the back of my mind it's it's almost like it that thought is ingrained in me from childhood (laughs) you know yeah Yeah, it did for sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also never asked for help because I'm always, I, I don't know why, but I have this, back from school years, I have this chatter in my mind that says, well, they're not going to want to help you. And in mm-hmm. fact, people want to help you. People like helping other people. And people feel good when they help other people. So they like to do it. Uh, so it's, it's just I have to always talk myself off that ledge. <laughs> right. And that, that young girl who was bullied in school was young and didn't really understand how to ask for help, right? Because you're supposed to be able to handle it all. And of course, as an older, more seasoned veteran, you can kind of say, you know, it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. And frankly, you know, you'll still come across people, no matter what age you are, that may be rude or may not want to help or what have you. But now, instead of feeling insecure in those moments, I turn around and think, okay, well, I'm not the problem here. They are. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who have a poor attitude or they are the ones who mm-hmm. you know, aren't, aren't doing this right. So you don't have to take things personally, by the way. It's easier exactly. Personally. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And it says more about that person than it says about you. I didn't mm-hmm. understand that as a kid. Mm-hmm. I thought it said something about me, but right. 
it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. Do you consider yourself someone who thinks outside the box and needing to live outside her comfort zone? And if so, why is this important? And do you ever worry that you might go too far outside your comfort zone? Um, what was the first first part of that question, Leslie? Is is it um, is it important for you to live outside the box? And do you ever worry that you might go too far outside your comfort zone? I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so at all. <laughs> I think uh, you know all, all. There's a saying. I'm gonna butcher it, but you know everything worth worth everything exciting and worth it is kind of outside of your comfort zone. So I don't think so. And I think most people, not most people, but a lot of people, especially me. I, I tend to stay in my comfort zone. So even when I push through, it's not that far out. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And let's face it, you've gone far enough out to do films on wrongful convictions, convictions, which is, you know, out of your comfort, out of your comfort zone in the sense that you're probably visiting these inmates in jail and doing all sorts of things that for some people would be out of their comfort zone, but you find it meaningful and important for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, I mean, that that is, I would say, within my comfort zone, because it is the cause that I really wanted to help and, and work on. So I felt right at home. And I'd done a lot of, over the years, a lot of reading on different cases and laws and things. So I, that actually felt very much within my comfort zone. And just to be clear, it's within your comfort zone because... Because, because I had, because it's something I'm really passionate about. And it's something I had done a lot of uh, reading on and a lot of cases I had read about. So it just felt, it felt right. You know, that was not an area where I felt like it was uh, like I had imposter syndrome. It was more the filmmaking side of it. Mm -hmm. Not so much the topic, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it goes back to what we spoke about a few seconds ago, which was for the female entrepreneurs listening to us, it's really important to find that passion because that's what's going to give you the strength to move through a lot of situations that otherwise maybe feels out of your comfort zone, but you're really committed to it. So it's not. Exactly. Um, Do you think, has your upbringing made it harder or easier to master a mindset for success? I really think it's made it significantly easier. I think Mm -hmm. that when you go through things like being bullied as a kid or not having friends or having to navigate that kind of upbringing. And especially as an immigrant in a place where you don't fit in. So you're just navigating so many different things, learning a new language and new foods and new people. And uh, all of those things build so much character, I think. Mm -hmm. And for me, I felt like, you know, while those years were not fun at all (laughs) at the time, I look back all the time and I think, well, if I hadn't went through that, I wouldn't be this confident today. Or if I hadn't went through that, I wouldn't kind of feel this inner inner peace and and know know that no matter what situation comes my way, I can handle it. So I think there's been a lot of positives because of it. Yeah, and it it sort of says that when when someone has hardship, one of the important things about lessening the blow for you is to see it as something that's making you, that's giving you character, that's giving you back a background that you otherwise wouldn't have to be able to go forward with. Exactly. Yep. I totally agree. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, 
how you grew up learning from your parents that it's important to help people in need. And you spoke about how that was one of the reasons why fashion at a certain point sort of became something that you weren't as, um, it wasn't as easy for you to work in as before. Yeah, we grew up, I mean, East Indian culture is, we're just raised to always, always help other people and anything you have um, to share and to give away. You know, my mom is a perfect example of this. Like if she's anytime, if my mom's wearing a scarf and you say, I love that scarf, she'll just take it off and say, have it. You know, there's, they're just, that's how I grew up seeing that all of the time. And I have a huge family. My mom uh, was nine siblings, including her and my dad had six, including him. And so I saw, you know, almost 15 sets of parents almost that did this all of the time. So I had all these role models where um, this was really ingrained in us. And, and so as I grew up, you know, I grew up with always that in mind and anything you can do to help other people you should do. And I, maybe that's why when I read that book or when I listened to serial, I felt like, you know, whatever's in my realm to do, I should do. And do you feel like you're helping the people that you're making the documentaries on? Is that part of the, um, you know, personal reward for you? Absolutely. Yes. My, my goal is with my second documentary to film somebody who is currently incarcerated so that I can help their case or at least give them a voice. And I mean, in the perfect world to help them be released, that, that Mm -hmm. is what I want to do in the first one. You know, I, I, focus the film on Jeffrey Deskovic, who's already been exonerated, but mm-hmm. he now runs an organization to help other people who've been wrongfully convicted. And he's voiced to me himself that it's really helped him and the cause and um, to draw attention to the work he does. And that feels great. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. 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 And it goes in alignment with sort of your upbringing too, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think this is the proudest uh, my mom has ever been of me. Oh, that's so sweet. That's- um, believe it or not, Gia, we are at the end of our time. I want to thank you so, so much for coming on today. It's been just great to listen to you and to have our listeners talk, hear about your motivation for why you chose to become a female entrepreneur now and also how you've overcome some of the real obstacles um, psychologically that you've faced over your life, but also in terms of your inspirational journey as an entrepreneur. Where can people reach out to you to learn more about your work? Either on my website, which is just my full name. It's giawertz.com, J-I-A-W-E-R-T-Z.com. And uh, on Instagram, it's giadocs, G- J, sorry, that's J-I-A-D-O-C-S, like short for documentaries. Those are probably the two best places. Fantastic. Thank you again. And we, uh, I'm so glad that we had you on today. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Leslie. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global, the first startup studio and digital DIY startup platform for women. For more information on her guests, this podcast and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. 
We believe in open and non-stigmatizing dialogue about the hidden psychological difficulties experienced by many successful entrepreneurs and highlighting the strategies used to overcome them, such as the fear of failure, of not being good enough, and that loud, chattering internal critic is critical to helping other founders achieve success. Please join her next week for more Mindset for Success stories. That was Dr. Leslie Knudsen, and you can drop her a line at dr.lesliekenudsen at dr.lesliekenudsen.com.